Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. The podcast where we discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Kurt, season two, buddy. Pepper, man, I, uh, I'm, I'm just almost giddy with this. I mean, I don't know if giddy is the right word for a neuroscientist to be using, but I have been so excited uh, by just the fact that we were able to get the first season completed, and it was such a joy to do it. And uh, I think it's just really built my enthusiasm for what we uh, are wanting to do in the next season. Absolutely. You know, uh, before we get started, anybody that's on the, uh, maybe watching us on the YouTube channel, on uh, the Being Known YouTube channel, may notice that I have these red blotches all over my face, and I think I should probably give those, you know, some explanation. So, Pepper, you need to give me some explanation, I, that's for sure. Yes. So, uh, you know, um, I went to the dermatologist yesterday and had a bunch of stuff frozen off of my face, which is a, just a lovely thing to experience. My friend uh, and, and mentor, who I've told you about, um, who passed a couple of years ago, but uh, Gene Wahlberg, mm. who lived in Southern California, we would meet every Wednesday morning. And, he, and Gene was a tennis player. He was an outdoors guy, running outside and everything, and he had a bald head. So some Wednesday mornings, he would come in with just bandages all over his head, and he'd say, <laughs> he'd say, I had to go see the sadist, which is what I felt like yesterday. As you said, you said that you were giddy starting this podcast. I'm not kidding. This woman, she was a little bit giddy when she was squirting my face with this with this stuff, and my arms just, I mean, just awful. With the liquid nitrogen. Anyway, the liquid nitrogen. The, with the, with right. the nit- liquid That's nitrogen. Right. Oh, That's right. Liquid nitrogen like, cometh. Oh my exactly. gosh! Gosh. If you haven't experienced it, you know. I recommend you start using sunscreen now (laughs) and not when it's too late. Well, I want to say that this is a prime example of what it means to give me an opportunity to give you the opportunity to be fully known. In addition to uh, our listeners out there who we are just so grateful that you're participating with us. And we want to say that from the very beginning that we hope that you enjoyed season one and... Uh, you're going to enjoy season two even more so because as Pepper and I both age and go to the sadist, we will be returning week after week with evidence of how we've been closely known by, well, we don't know what to call them, but they, 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 call, themselves right. derm- they call themselves dermatologists, but we've got to come up with other names. No, we do. We do indeed. Um, yeah. Okay, Kurt, I want to tell you about something that happened to me this week. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think... You know, hopefully there'll be a transition into what our topic is for this first episode, but that's up to you to figure out. So, <laughs> so two days ago, I was driving to pick up my daughter, my youngest daughter. She's uh, in high school, um, getting ready to be driving herself soon. Okay, Hope, yeah. okay. I, can, so, I just, can I just say, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second. Can I just say, like yeah. at some point, we do have to tell that story about hopes, we will, about for hopes sure. coming into the world. So. Okay. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're driving. For sure. You're going to pick her up. So so I'm driving and I'm on the freeway, expressway, and I'm driving and the traffic suddenly stops because a, a truck broke down, and I hit my slam on my brakes and and I knew I needed to go over into the shoulder a little bit or yeah. I was going to have a collision. Yeah. So I went over into the shoulder. Uh, traffic started moving. I swung back and went on about my way. I got off the freeway a couple of miles later and as I was pulling off the freeway. 
a car comes roaring past me, pulls directly in front of me, like, like on an angle to stop me. And these two young, I'd say 19, 20 year old girls get out of the car. Um, I don't think they were saying I'm number one, but they both had one finger up in each, each hand walking towards my car, <laughs> screaming. And I'm, I have literally no idea like what I could have possibly done to, prov- to provoke this action. So my first reaction was to kind of chuckle, <laughs> which was the wrong reaction because it escalated things yeah. oh my tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, gr- there's a girl a foot away from my driver's side window. I'm, I'm no prude, but I r- literally can't repeat the words that she was saying. Wow. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Wow. And I, I cracked my window a little bit to just say, I have no idea why you're angry with me. Mm. I have no idea why this is happening. Um, I said, what did I, what did I do that, that made you so angry? To which she just started spitting at my window. Spitting and like spitting, spitting. Cussing. Spitting like cuss, pause, work it up, spit it out. You know, it was, wow. it was, and, and wow. I'm, I was just sitting there like, okay, I don't want to escalate this situation any more than I did when I chuckled. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, um, so eventually, but I couldn't leave because there was somebody behind me and they were right in front of me. The light turned green, the light turned red, the light turned green. Finally, they got back in their cars. Neither of them explained at all what I had done. I mean, the only thing I think is if, if I accidentally cut them off and I didn't, unawares, didn't know it, you know? Yeah. But yeah. for this kind of reaction. Right. So today we're talking about integration. Yes. Right? Yes. And Dan Siegel says that when a, when a person or family group or organization or community experiences chaos right? You know that integration is impaired. Right. And, you know, in the greater sense, that is community. Those are people in my community. They, you know, obviously don't live too far from me and they're, you know, and, and that, and, and, in that moment, and in that moment, they were not very far from you at all. They were not, they were really, really close, <laughs> right. a lot closer than I would have liked. Right. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm, well, first of all, I'm, I'm just, I'm a little stunned. And, um, you know, there, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, we'll, we'll, we'll eventually get to, uh, in this season, we'll, we'll eventually get to this whole notion of um, how we as human beings make meaning of things. But I, first of all, I just want to say that however they were making meaning, however they were, you know, perceiving the situation, mm-hmm. whatever, all the conclusions that they were drawing, you know, the outcome of that was, um, you know, really pretty unpleasant for you. I mean, I know that if I'm like, I'm, I'm like, my heart rate is elevated just listening to this story and it's right. going to take me probably the rest of our podcast. And I don't know about you all out there, but you're, you're probably like, like having images in your head too. Like, well, what this was like and your heart rates are up too. Can you, can, you know, if you can just imagine, I think first thing I want to say to you, Pep, is I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I'm really sorry because, like, you might say, "Well, it's two 19-year-old girls, and you know, we might, I'm in my car. I'm, I'm not maybe yet afraid for my physical, you know, safety." But those kinds of things are never are never pleasant to have happen. And I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry for that happening to you. I really am. 
because you know you you don't get over those kinds of things like in 30 seconds i mean here we are still telling the story and the other thing that i'm really both curious about and also without even knowing the details of their story i'm like i'm i'm really heartbroken at some level like what happened to them i thought the same thing what happened to them not in their kind of imagined encounter with you on the freeway or at some point, but what happened to them when they were six? Yeah. When they were 12, when they were 15, what happened to them that would lead them into this space of utter, utterly chaotic behavior in that regard? Yeah. And that does, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect example of, that, that's, that's one example of what we experience in much of our lives. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, recording here from Arlington, Virginia, and I think it wasn't that long ago that, you know, now about a month ago that, uh, you know, we had an event here at the nation's capital in which people were in a state of chaos, when the Capitol was uh, stormed and there was all of the violence that took place and people died and on and on and on about that story. And people, and, 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 the, and, and the question that I would want to, that I was asking even then was not just what happened at the Capitol, but what has happened to the people who participated in that? What, hap- what happened to them? Not just that day, not just a year ago, but what happened to them when they were also 6 and 16 and 20, Hmm. such that chaos was the only way that they knew how to operate in, in that moment. And that brings us to this topic that is really germane to this question of what does it mean for us to be known, for us to be fully known, that we'll continue to come back to, and like, just to highlight right out of the gate again in this second season that we are a people who deeply long to be known from the moment we come into the world. I long to be known. I want my mom and my dad and my siblings, if I have them, my friends, my neighbors, I want to be seen and I want to be seen and received. And I recognize that some of that reception uh, I, I, I am, I'm delighted to be seen in your eyes. And even now as we're recording and I'm looking at you, I like that smile, like that's it. That smile from, from the most beautiful man in the world. That smile. <laughs> <Good> enough. <laughs> oh, Pep, let me just say it will never be enough. It will never be All enough. Right. Okay. But I'm serious. Like to be seen by you and to be received by you is something that not only like fills my heart with joy. But it also, it literally allows my brain activity to be what we would call more integrated. This, this sense that, you know, we humans, when we come into the world, we say every baby comes into the world wanting, you know, looking for someone, looking for him. I want to be known, but I don't just want to be known as it turns out. I don't want to be known just on my own terms, like a toddler once, you know, she, if, if she or he is, uh, you know, a two or three-year-old, if they're, you know, if it's two in the afternoon and they haven't had their nap and they're hungry, they're going to be behaving perhaps in ways in which their little brain's kind of like all over the place and it's behaving rather chaotically. 
And if I'm the toddler, I want to be known by my mom by like, I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want to go for a nap, but I want a snack and I want it now. And that's how I want to be known. But the mom says, wait, I'm going to give you some boundaries. I'm going to help you learn how to restrain because part of what it means to be known is not just to be known for what I want and then give me what I want when I want it, how I want it. Part of being known also includes my being received into a community that helps me learn what it means to set limits, helps me learn what it means to put restraint on some of my own internal neurophysiological impulses and longings and desires. It's like a thoroughbred that needs to be trained. It's like a great athlete that has certain capacities, but they don't just do whatever they want to do. They train and discipline those kinds of things. And somewhere along the line, we strike this balance. We strike this balance of being received with joy, while at the same time, those impulses of ours that might take us off the highway, that might have us pulling into somebody's lane, jumping out of the car, coming to their car, spitting on their windows while shouting expletives at them, we learn that those things are to be restrained because being known, being seen, being called out isn't just an end in and of itself. As we've said, we want to be known in order to be called into a world of creating beauty, called into a world of creating goodness, called into a world of repairing ruptures, called into a world where when we see where there is brokenness, when we see where there is difficulty, where we see there is pain, we are going into that place to be an agent of hope and healing, to be an agent of integration ourselves. And this whole notion of being known in the language of interpersonal neurobiology can be understood through this word called integration. And we've spoken of this in the first season a little bit. Here today, we want to take a little deeper dive into what that means. And we're going to define that and give some explanation and some, uh, you know, some examples of that as well. So I don't know if you were a fan of The Office, oh. um, the TV show The Office. So yeah. because because I have uh, three kids and they're they're separated in ages, I've gone through, I've seen The Office, each one of them, like I traveled through it with each one of them wow. a couple of times, right? Wow. So we love The Office. So I'm thinking about this scene in The Office where Oscar comes into Michael's office and he and he tells him that there's a surplus and he tries to explain to him what a surplus is. To which Michael says, okay, explain this to me as though I'm eight years old. And so he gives him this this really simple explanation, and he says, why don't you try explaining it to me like I'm five? So he says, well, Mommy and Daddy give you money to make a lemonade stand. Michael still doesn't get it. Yeah. So I don't think we need to go to the lemonade stand analogy. Right, right. But... I know we want to talk about the about integration and about the nine domains of integration, but I, I want to say, you know, talk to me, <laughs> right. explain it to me, right? You know, right? Like a me, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the the metaphor that I like to use is that uh, if you think about an orchestra, a, an orchestra that's going to play a symphony, each 
each orchestra has different parts. We've got these different, the, the woodwinds and the brass and the timpani and, and, and the, these different parts of the orchestra. And if we wanted to go listen to, I think Cincinnati has a, a fine, you know, Phil, one, 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 a really, a really yeah. fi- finer symphony orchestra. And if we were to go hear Cincinnati's orchestra play, I would want to know that each of those different sections of the orchestra have practiced their parts because we're going to hear Beethoven's Seventh Symphony. And of course, this is going to come with all kinds. We're going to come with vocals and everything that's going to come with this. And we want to know that every single part has practiced their part really, really well. And so that's what we call in just general terms of any kind of system where we're talking about a family or we're talking about an orchestra, we're talking about the human mind. If we're talking about a business, if we're talking about a church, a university, a school, each part needs to be trained to do its particular part really, really well. I want to know that the violins really, really know their part well. I want to know that each child in a family uh, it's, it has the sense that its place in the family is being honored. Whether you're the oldest child, whether you're the middle child, the last child, its place is being honored. In the same way, I want to know that in my mind, that my mind that has multiple different dimensions and different domains of activity, and one of the kind of the shortcut ways that we talk about the mind is this acronym that we use called SIFT. B, these letters, these five letters, S-I-F-T-B, that we, and and it's an easy way for us to think about what the mind does, that we sense things. I I, I sense things coming to me from outside my mind and inside my mind, physical world and in the world of my inner, of my body internally, I sense things. I image things. It's rare for us as human beings to talk about much of anything without having a picture of it in my mind. And even when we are by ourselves and we're thinking about things, we have images that accompany the thing that I'm thinking about. And those images themselves pack a pretty powerful punch. As we know from 9-11, you know, one of the things that happened for so many people that became trauma, you know, that was traumatizing for them was not just that the event happened, but that they kept watching it over and over, the images mm-hmm. over and over and over again on the television. So we sense, we image, we feel. We have f- these things that we call feelings, and we give words to those feelings. I'm feeling angry, and when I know that feeling angry feels different than feeling joy. That feels different than feeling sad. So I have feelings, and then I have thoughts. I have this cognition, this cognitive part of me, that is thinking, even the words that I'm saying right now. So I have these different parts of and functions of my mind. And last, we have this B word, not that B word, but the other B word, and that is the word for behavior. I do things with my body in the world. I feel uncomfortable, and so I cross my arms. I am uncomfortable, and so I stop speaking. I'm joyful because Ohio State beats Clemson, we're not going to talk about the Alabama game. I beat because we beat Clemson, and I'm jumping out of my chair in my uh, family room. I, I, I do things with our body. We in this pandemic, what's difficult? Like I, there, I'm, I'm restricted in what I want to do with my embodied self. All those different things are important things, just like in the orchestra. 
they are important parts and functions of our mind that need to be exercised. It's important for, as I'm growing up in my family, it's important for me that someone helps me understand what I'm sensing. That someone helps me understand the images that are in my mind and that someone helps me understand my feelings and my thoughts. And one of the ways that we, and, and what I'm doing with my body, and one of the ways that we come to exercise an awareness and almost an expertise of awareness, when it comes to those particular things, has a lot to do with the role of the conductor of the orchestra. Because this then, you know, the conductor, part of their job is to make sure, these, every now and then they'll go practice with the violins, they'll go practice with the strings, with the percussion and so forth. We're just going to make sure that this group, we're just going to focus our attention on this group. The conductor's in charge of that. And we'll get to what the conductor is in just a moment. So we are what we call well-differentiated Each part is a different part, and each part has expertise and practice and attunement and attention that is paid to that part. So hopefully we're growing up in a family in which people actually pay attention to what we feel. So I grew up in a family, for instance, where, um, you know, it was okay to feel things as long as what you felt was okay. But, you know, far be it for you to become angry or upset at one of my parents. Now, thanks be to God, I grew up in a home where my parents were God-fearers. They they loved Jesus. They loved their sons. And they were imperfect. And one of the challenges that my parents had was that I think they didn't really particularly have uh, an easy way of understanding what to do with really uncomfortable emotional states. And so, you know, my father, who was kind and generous and warm and affectionate uh, and a man of, like, principle. But he, he was also a guy who, like, you didn't want to get him angry. Like, you didn't want because, like, he's 6'1 and 210 pounds, and, like, you just don't mess around with this guy. And uh, in his home, he, he was the king. I mean, in, in many, many good ways, but also in ways in which, like, if you ever got angry with him, like, that wasn't ever going to be said. Like, there, there, was, there was no space for that. If you ever got upset about something that he did, there was, you know, the, the common Ohioan disciplinary tactic. You stop your crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. Now, outside the fact that that's kind of like logically illogical, Like, it doesn't, you know, like, if you don't want me to cry, then why are you going to give me something to cry about? That just doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense to me. The point was that anger, for me, for instance, uh, was was something that I was, I learned that anger was dangerous. Mm. I, like, I learned that if you're going to be angry, there's threat behind that that's coming. And so I worked most of my life just to make sure that I didn't piss off my dad. Which meant that by the time I was, you know, out in the world, like, I'm also now working really hard not to piss off my wife. I'm working really hard not to piss off my employees. I'm working really hard to make sure that nobody gets angry with me. And, like, that's just not a very, like, it's like there's a certain section of my mind, a certain section of the orchestra that just doesn't get any attention from the conductors. Now, they're over there, like, they've got a part to play, but, like, we're not letting them play. And so for me, there was a part of my orchestra, as it were, that was not very well differentiated. Certain emotion was okay, as long as they were okay. 
but other emotion weren't, other thoughts that I had. And this may be, I can imagine it's true for you too. Like if your parents aren't being curious about these kinds of things, then you learn to contain them. You learn to hide them. And sometimes you hide them so well that you don't even know that there is a section in the orchestra called the percussion section. You don't even know that. And so this is the part of what it means to be integrated is that first we differentiate. And some of us grow up in families where parts of our mind's activity are differentiated well. But for many of us, and I think about those two 19-year-old girls that confronted you on the interstate, there are parts of them that somehow didn't get very well differentiated. And by differentiation, we don't just mean that you practice this well, but you also practice knowing where your limits are. Because this then brings us to the second part of differentiation. And along with each of those parts of the orchestra wanting to play their part well, the thing is, they have to know that they're in an orchestra with other parts. They have to know that there are times when I'm now not going to play or I'm going to play softer because we're going to give space to this other part of the orchestra. There are times when the violins, they are the moment. And then there are times when they back off because we've got to give space for this oboe solo over here. And the oboe is not going to be heard if I've got violas and violins that are just like filling the symphony hall. And so this is the other thing then. We are well differentiated, but we're also linked. Integrated systems, the system of an orchestra is, is, is integrated when its well differentiated parts also show a complex sense of linkage, like I'm connected to you. So yes, I have feelings, but I'm also connected to you, which means I want to give you space for what you feel as well. And I can't do that. I can't do that if I'm not also paying attention to you at the same time that I'm paying attention to me. The conductor is essentially really helping each of the parts pay attention to the other parts to bring them together as an integrated whole. In the same way, we would love to know that we've grown up in families where our parents are helping to develop this part of me that senses, but also that feels and that thinks and that does things with my body. In the mind, as far as the brain is concerned, the part of my brain that plays the role of the conductor is this part that we call the middle prefrontal cortex. And for you that, that are out there, I mean, in our, in our audience, like you, you, we're frequently going to be talking about neuroscientific terms and our anatomy and physiology and so forth because we want to have a whole picture that we're talking about. This middle prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain that sits right behind your forehead. And that for us humans is the part of our brain that ultimately makes us human, that separates us from the rest of all living creatures. It's the part of our brain that plans things, part of our brain that creates things, part of our brain that imagines things, part of our brain that actually is able to think about into the future and to consider consequences for things if we make one choice versus another choice. That is our conductor, but even our own conductor needs to go to conductor school. Like my conductor has to be trained. And so part of what good parenting does, part of what good coaching does, part of what good teaching does, part of what good pastoral care does in the context of a church. What good friendships, right? What good friendships do. Absolutely. What good friendship, what this friendship, yours and mine does is like it helps train my conductor to do its job. I can't conduct the orchestra of my own mind if I don't first have the opportunity of my conductor 
going to conduct her school. And so the orchestra of my mind, all these different things that I sense and image and feel and think in my behavior needs to be trained by being known by someone outside of my mind so that an integrated whole, as Dan Siegel likes to say, integration is like this river, this river that runs between two banks, two extreme banks. And when I'm in a place of integration, the symphony is playing in such a way that all the parts know their parts, but they're also listening very well to the other parts in the symphony because they're watching the conductor. They're listening to the other parts, but they're also watching the conductor. And the two options, these two banks of the rivers that we can find ourselves falling into when we are in disintegrated states, one would be, it would be a a place of chaos. On one side of the river is this place of chaos where our mind is just all over the place. There's no sense of, A, any of the different parts of the orchestra knowing what they're supposed to play, nor are they listening to anybody else. And so you walk into the symphony hall, you sit down, and the orchestra just plays whatever they want to play. And they're all over the place. Right. I don't want to pay for that. No. And that might have been what we saw on the interstate when Mm. you, right? They're just, they are all over the place. Like in adult bodies, they're behaving, you know, that's like they're having a tantrum. Like we'd say, oh, this would make sense if these two little girls were like two and a half years old. Yeah, it wasn't like they were having a tantrum. They were having a full out tantrum. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I, I can just say this. Like, unfortunately, I have moments where I'm, I'm not actually spitting on people and, and I'm not shouting right. expletives, I don't think. But I have moments where internally, like, I want to. Right. But hopefully there is enough restraint that has been developed as part of this differentiation process that I can pay attention to there being other elements in there, other people in the room especially when emotions get high. But if I'm not able to do that, if I'm not able to show restraint, then my emotion can go all over the place. And I'm sure that you and our audience, you, you, you've often uh, had experiences, maybe in your own home, maybe in your place of work, maybe in your church, maybe in your marriages, where things feel pretty chaotic. And they can feel chaotic in a moment, or they can feel chaotic in ways like you experienced it on the interstate, in which it's not just a moment, and it becomes traumatic because it shakes up our own internal state of affairs. I say it's kind of like somebody just, you know, bringing some kind of SUV, driving it up onto, you know, the stage at the symphony and just running over people, right? It's just chaos everywhere. And sometimes in order to protect against that, instead of being on that bank of the river of integration, we're on the other bank, which is the bank of rigidity. If you can imagine Mm. that we swing from one side to the other, and rigidity would be something like every single instrument in the orchestra plays the exact same note all the time. There's no differentiation. It's all the same. In fact, it's so much the same that the conductor barely needs to operate. They might be there to keep tempo, but they don't really have to help people listen to one another. They don't have to help people differentiate and to be clear about, you know, the crescendo and decrescendo of the tone of their instrument. They're just all playing the same tone, and they do so perhaps because they're working really, really hard 
to protect against the possibility of swinging back across the river into states of chaos. And so many of us have also found ways in which because of the lives that we've lived, our minds occupy states that are rigid. So we may know people who are only able to do things one way. We're going to do my way or it's the highway. My way, that's the only way that we're going to do it. They work really hard. Like, and, and so one of the things that, you know, that happened in my home was that because of how it would be that we couldn't become angry, there's a sense in which, okay, I'm just going to live in this way and anger is going to be cut off. We're just going to shut that off because otherwise there is the fear that chaos might happen. So we're just going to be rigid in that way. And we find that there are lots of places in our lives in which when we encounter certain kinds of people, we just go into lockdown. I'm just going to be quiet. This happens in marriages where someone, you, you know, you're upset with somebody and, you know, uh, you know you're, you're married to the guy who when you're upset about something, he just, you know, like, he walks away into the family room. He's shutting down. He's going into a place of rigidity because perhaps he's too afraid that the pendulum is going to swing across the river into this place of chaos and he can't afford that. Or we find people that get pretty obsessed. Now, I don't know if any of you all know anybody who needs to, you know, have things just be a certain way or be in control of things. But that certain sense of rigidity is a way in which certain parts of their mind have kind of been cut out in order for there just to be played, in order for the orchestra just to be played one way as a way to protect against the possibility of chaos. And so in some respects, we can become people both in our relationships, in our own homes, but also in our places of education, in our church, in our workspace, where we have to be, we have to work so hard in our rigidity to make sure that we don't become chaotic. But to be known is to have the opportunity to welcome all the things that I'm sensing, imaging, feeling, thinking, and how I want to behave into the room in order for us to invite the things that are beautiful and good about all that into this space, to be curious about that, to talk about that, to put words to the things that I sense and image and feel And also to place boundaries around that in order for beauty to emerge. You know, we've talked so much about how, you know, one of the things that we want to do on our our show here is to offer the opportunity to give examples of, of beauty, whether that's in artistic work, whether that's poetic work. And I think back to last season when you quoted Wendell Berry's poem and I was just amazed just listening to that. I mean, I just, my heart was warmed. And I think about this notion that I've heard that the best poets write the most poetry. Right. Because a lot of what they're writing isn't to their standard. But it is this practice of being in this place, of practicing, practicing, where they can then whittle away at the things that they don't want in order to produce beauty. But in order to produce beauty, you got to be able to even like have your room be cluttered with pieces of paper of the poems that you don't want to, that you don't think are any good. 
But you don't just publish everything and anything because you are working to hone. You are working to, like, no, we want the violence. I want to practice this. Oh, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. But also in order for you then to, now let's have you listen. Have you listen to the brass. Listen, listen to where this is coming in. And, you know, in Pep, as we, as we think about our times, uh, so much, and we, 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 will, we will continue to talk about this as we uh, move through this second season, our times are fraught with examples of both chaos. We can cite January 6th as one event, but there are so many others where we have racial and political felt senses of fracture and chaos and separation and so forth. But we also have this rigidity that within the particular camps that are against each other, there is a certain rigidity. And the pandemic itself has us in lockdown, as it were, that we're not able to be fluidly connected to each other. It's into this space that I think this notion of being known is is so important that we really want to help all of you that are part of our podcast and listening to us and participating with this. We want this entire community to be a community that can know what it means to live a life of integration because that word, kind of scientific as it is, represents a world of goodness and beauty. Hmm. It represents a world in which we are willing, as strange as it may seem, we are willing to receive even the most chaotic things in order to be curious in order to wonder with those two 19-year-olds, what happened? I see that you're angry and my heart grieves at that. And I don't wanna be afraid of you. I wanna be able to not just roll my windows down or get out of my car or talk to you. I'd love to have, when we're able, I'd love to have dinner or glass of wine on the porch, on the deck in my kitchen. I want you to be known in such a way that whatever the trauma is that's happened to you can realize healing, can realize hope, can realize regeneration. I want to know that or somebody with a truck ran over your violent section. We repair every last we repair every last woodwind it's been cracked and broken and then we teach you to play we teach you to play precisely out of this very space where all the carnage is It may not be pristine, but we're going to come right to the place where all the carnage is. And that's where we're going to build an orchestra. And we're going to build it out of the very substance of the rigidity and the chaos that's lying all around us. And we do that by being committed to being known one to another. Explain it to me like I'm five. (laughs) (laughs) You're a punk. No, you know, um, 
when you were talking about the poetry and the creative and the mess and the being able to, you know, you have to do so much in order to whittle it down. It made me think of, uh, I was reading Bono the, from U2 was, was talking about how he could never have done it without a band. Mm, like mm. he couldn't imagine ever been a, so, a solo act. I mean, you know, he knew those guys or knows those guys for his whole life and they get on each other's nerves and all that kind of thing, but there's just no way. And he said, you know, in his opinion, the greatest pop songwriter was Prince, huh. but Prince never had an editor. Huh. So he put out, he would put out so much content and he would put out 30 songs and Two of them would be absolute genius yeah. and brilliant, but he had nobody to grapple with and to, you know, uh, have help him and see him and, and all that kind of thing, which I thought was a great illustration right. of that. And I, I love the, the, the illustration that you talked about with uh, Dan Siegel and how you're on the river and on one side you've got rigidity, the other side you've got chaos. And what we want is this integration in the middle where we can have wholeness and beauty and goodness. Um, I experienced that. I, I, I visioned myself being on a pair of skis on this river and like sometimes going over to this side, right? right. And, right. and there's rigidity that comes in and sometimes going over to this side and there's chaos and I'm trying to get my way back to the middle. Right. But I, I also need somebody that's, that's, you know, helping guide me right. along those ways. Right. So, yeah, yeah, and I, I think I think it's it's uh, you know one of the other reasons why I I find the orchestra um, example at least helpful for me, um, and of course since this is really all about me, I'm you know it's why we want to use my examples. Get used to it, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you all think that I. You know, the pepper and I want to know you. This I, this is really one big personal psychotherapy endeavor for me. I, that's really what this is about. I, Phyllis, my wife, commissioned this because she she knows that the world needs to be protected from me. The world needs help from you know they, they needs to be helped uh, you know because of me. And yes, so I I think we know where all this is going. Uh, but you know, one of the one of the other things, like, so so you mentioned that if you're on a pair of skis in the river, you're being pulled by a boat. You know, I don't, I don't know what it's like. I mean, you know, my, my um, I grew up with my, my old siblings and cousins learning to ski. And, you know, they would sometimes ski in the Ohio River. And they did that for a certain period of time until they learned. Like, you can't really always safely predict that, you you know, what's going to come at you. Like, is it going to be a tree? Log is it going to be you know a you know a wooden bench that somehow floated down right. the river if it, like something submerged like you know so the river integration isn't isn't a place of perfection right it's like an artist's mm. studio it's the place where we are like we are we are working at this and 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 you're right like sometimes we are skiing closer to one one bank and then to the other and. One of the beautiful things about that happens often in symphonic performances is that like you think like, oh my God, you get done and you listen to Beethoven seventh and you don't even want to leave your seat after it's done because you you just can't believe what you heard. But if you were to go backstage and to talk to all the artists and everybody who's they'll tell you about the number of notes that they missed. They'll tell you about the mistakes that they made. They'll talk about how imperfect it was. And yet the fact is that 
over the course of the entire symphony, everybody is moving to get each other's back. We're going to cover each other. We're going to make up for stuff. Yes, I missed that cue, but like we're going to keep moving because we are creating beauty and we are paying more attention to what is before us than we are going to pay attention to the mistake I just made like two staff measures ago. Right. And I'm going to have other members with me along the way who are helping me continue to move. And so it doesn't mean that in our families or businesses or schools or churches, we never make mistakes. Of course we make mistakes. Of course there are ruptures. Of course there are moments when I get too far to one bank or to the other as I'm skiing. Of course there are like submerged obstacles in the river. And sometimes like... And this happened. I remember my cousin, like, you know, he, he's, he runs, he, like, he skis, and, and there's a wooden bench floating. And, you know, he had to, you know, avoid it and, and almost got hurt badly with this. So there are things that happen to us. And even when painful things happen, these things can happen in the river of integration, yeah. But the real point is, what do we do when that happens? And we'll talk more in more detail when we talk about what it means for us to be repairing ruptures and how that's connected to attachment and how that builds resilience. And so I'd love for us all to know that just because we are in this river of integration does not mean that it's going to be painless. It means, however, that even when those painful things happen, when mistakes get made, when I hurt your feelings and you've hurt my feelings a lot and i just want you know know that it, like we're still i think we're still in a great place because of even even despite that when those things happen i'm not going to let you talk cuz i know that you know i'm not going to let you talk emotions are important <laughs> but not they're not the most important and just because they're your emotions doesn't mean we all need to tiptoe around you and your little eggshells that you have around your desk go ahead <laughs> i just i just want to say that everything you said was Really beautiful, except the part about my tiptoeing on eggshells, because that's just not true. I don't do that. I don't do that, except, you know, when I'm with you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want to take this opportunity to tell you folks about uh, the Center for Being Known. And uh, actually have Kurt tell you about the Center of Being Known. They have an event coming up, and uh, I'm excited about it personally. Kurt, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the Center for Being Known and about this event that you have that you're planning. Thanks, Pep. Most of you will not be aware that for a number of years, uh, in hibernation has been a small nonprofit organization called the Center for Being Known. And we exist for the mission of being able to create a space where People can come together and be connected. Anyone who really has an interest or a vested stake in what's taking place in life at this intersection between interpersonal neurobiology and Christian spiritual formation. And as it turns out, that's not just something that applies to psychotherapy or the mental health field. We believe that this place of convergence of neuroscience and spiritual formation is something that has application deeply in many realms 
in fact, every realm of vocational domain that we occupy. So whether you're in church ministry or you're in education or you're running a law practice or an accounting firm or you're a carpenter or you're a truck driver, whatever it is, if you're a gardener or a farmer, whatever it is, we want this to be a space where you can come together and be connected with like-minded people who are asking the questions, how can these questions of neuroscience and spiritual formation speak into my life in practical ways that I can then take away and then apply this and actually even create a community of my own who can both exercise and engage and apply these principles in our own particular domains of life. And to that end, CBK, as we call it, the Center for Being Known, will be having its inaugural annual conference virtually on October 22nd, Friday, October 22nd, this coming year, this coming fall, 2021. And we would invite you all to be there. You can find out more information about this by looking online at thecbk.org, thecbk.org. We expect that this is going to be an opportunity for people of a wide range of different communities, different vocational callings to come together to be nourished in this way of neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation. In fact, we're going to have four speakers, including myself, four other speakers who will be giving us a window into how they are applying this work one in ministry, one in education, one in leadership, and one in the field of psychotherapy. Each of them, uh, people that I know personally and that are really skilled at applying this kind of work. And so with that in mind, I want to invite you all to consider doing that again. October 22nd, 2021, our first annual CBK conference called Connections. Please join us there. Excellent. So you can find out more at thecbk.org. The work environment that I'm in now is really striving for this integration, even if they don't understand it. Yeah. You know, talk about uh, that. I work with yeah, people I hear this. Yeah. So I'm working with a, with a company called the Chandy Group. And, and uh, the, the head of the Chandy Group is a woman by the name of Amy Chandy. She's an amazing woman. And she, she is really good at seeing people's strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing what people are, yeah. like what their thing is, what what they're best at, and positioning them in a way that they can operate in their strengths, yeah. right? Right. But it's also, there's an environment that's been created in this company where, first of all, if there's a mistake made, pretty much everybody in the room raises their hand and says, it's my fault, <laughs> right? Yeah. And nobody, and when there's credit to be taken, you don't see people raising their hands yeah. to say, hey, this is, this is me, I'm the one, put the light on me, which is amazing in itself. Yeah. And, but by all the different parts, and sometimes we've been placed in the wrong parts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We've been placed in the wrong position. Mm-hmm. So, but, but there is this constant striving within the company to get everyone in the right position mm-hmm. so that they can be at their best and at the same time be forced to grow in that mm-hmm. position. So mm-hmm. it's not just like, oh, you're really good at typing, so we're just going to let you type all day. It's like, no, <laughs> you know, right. you've, got to, you've got to take that skill and broaden it and figure out how, you know. Right. But it is this environment, and so often, just me personally in that environment, have felt like I've been put in this great position, not all the time, but where I can really take all of the tools that I have in my toolbox and use yeah. them. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's a... But we haven't really talked about, I mean, we talk about it, we do probably more than other 
organizations, we do talk about, we're purposeful about it. Mm -hmm. But as far as like the language of integration and things like that, that we can learn from, I'm I'm really looking forward to this season, the second season, as we're going to go through the nine domains of integration. Mm -hmm. Um, And with our remaining couple of minutes, um, which is really just a couple of minutes, I would love for you to just sort of give us the 10,000 foot, you know, view of where we're going to go this season without getting, you know, too bogged down, yeah. Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll try to I'll try to speak to the rest of you all, and as, as adults, and I'll speak to Ignore you. Pe- me. And I'll speak yes. to you, Pepper, as the five year old. As the five year old, thank you. I'm really looking forward to being able to drill deeper into each of these different domains of the mind. In the same way that the orchestra has these four different sections, we talk about these nine different sections of the mind's activity. Our conscious mind, our vertical, our horizontal, all those these, these, these different ones that we talk about. And, and again, it's, it's going to be a journey in which we talk about each specific domain uh, in the same way that we would say we really want to help focus on a particular section of the orchestra. We want people to become really familiar with this, deeply familiar with this piece of music as the violins play it. What does it mean for us to be deeply familiar with our narrative mind's domain? What does it mean for us to know about attachment and so forth? What does it mean for me to understand memory and the role that memory plays? What does it mean for me to pay attention to my body? These different domains mean that just like anything else that we learn well as a skill, whether we're playing the piano, whether we're learning literature, whether we're going to memorize a poem, whether we're going to do your job. I mean, even now, like the job that you're doing with the Chandy Group, like it's it's amazing to me what all, all the things that you're doing 90% 90% of which is just sweat equity, right? It, it's like, like and, and, and some of that sweat equity is also in the creative element of that. But you're, you're drilling into these different things that, and you have developed these different skills that you're doing that bring that come together in that space. And that's what we want people to look forward to. But it's not just an academic exercise. The beauty of this coming season is going to be the stories that we tell that will be examples of these different features of the mind. And we want you all to join us in this because in the stories that we tell, we believe that everybody's story is going to find some resonance because we want this podcast to be about being known. We want you to be known in these different domains of your mind that maybe you know something about, maybe you know very little about. We want you to communicate this to others. We want you to be more deeply known in all the different parts of your mind in order being known means that we then love God with all of these different parts, and we love our neighbor with all of these different dimensions of our of our mind. And in the course of being known, we know that we do that on the mission of it, on the journey of creating beauty and goodness in the world, and especially at this time where there's so much carnage that we see as we look around us. And I want us to be known by exploring these particular domains in order for us to create the beauty that God has foreordained before the foundation of the world. Beautiful. I'm so looking forward to this season, Kurt. And this last, you know, 50 minutes that we spent together, it's just time. No, I'm going to be, you know, would you allow me to be serious for a second? I, I, I've been, I I've been trying to allow this for like eight, nine years. It, it is, uh, it has been time really well spent. And, um, I'm looking forward to this year. And I want to challenge our listeners this week. Uh, listen to Beethoven, Beethoven's seventh. Mm. Um, listen to the orchestra. Identify the different parts. Listen to them come together and integrate 
as one and, and create beauty and goodness and sit in it for a while. You'll enjoy it. Thank you, Kurt. This was great. Pepper, thank you so much. It's uh, a joy to do this today and uh, can't wait for the next time we're together. Me too. Love you, buddy. You too. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and music is by Keaton Simons. If you'd like to connect with us, you can visit us on our website, beingknownpodcast.com, or you can find us on social media at beingknownpod. Be well, be known. <laughs>